Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look into your word again uh, in this, uh, to this letter of uh, 2 Corinthians, Lord, by your Apostle Paul, we just ask that you would help us to understand it and help us to, to learn from what uh, you taught your church through your Apostle Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Apostle Paul was no doubt different from the apostles who spent time uh, with Jesus. He had a zealous character like no other to begin with and was quite unstoppable. But he was not unstoppable to Jesus, of course, and when Jesus knocked him off of his horse and began anew with him, Paul had to go through a lot of suffering. The Lord told Ananias of Damascus this about Paul. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's from Acts 9.16. And if you want the story of the Apostle Paul's, Paul's conversion, just uh, read before that and you will uh, see that uh, most interesting and exciting story. So, so that's what the, uh, the Lord Jesus said, that he will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And suffer, Paul did. And he did so willingly and gratefully once he turned his life over to Jesus. After Paul's conversion, he was untrusted by both the Jews that he left and the Christian Jews that he was trying to join. And then when the Christians finally did let him in, Paul put forward the God-given truth that Gentiles did not have to become Jews or follow Jewish practices to be Christians. Now, that created some opponents in the church, those who disagreed with Paul, and, and Paul's theology eventually brought him to the conclusion that Jewish Christians didn't even have to follow Jewish customs either, and that gave him more opponents and even enemies within the church. Um, and, and, and then some began to preach against Paul. This led to, eventually, to the Gentile domination of the Christian church, which is really too, too bad in, in many ways, because um, Jewish Christians have so much to offer and still do to this day. But back to Paul, Paul didn't care that he had or made enemies. Truth was what Paul was after, and truth was what Paul wanted to spread, even if it meant he would be disliked or he would be persecuted and, and even killed, which he was willing to, 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 um, to go even to that extent and eventually was killed, of course. But what deeply hurt the Apostle Paul is when the converts that he won to the faith went against him and the truth of God that 
he proclaimed. In the Gentile church of Corinth that Paul had founded, that was what was happening. Some of his own spiritual children were no longer heeding to his God-given teaching or giving him the respect that he deserved in that role that he had in that leadership role, planting that church and bringing the gospel to them. He was their spiritual father. Paul had suffered tremendously in sharing the gospel with this church as, as with many churches. He shared it all over the Roman Empire, of course. And, and as Christ has showed him, he suffered in doing so and he did so willingly. It was his passion to share the gospel. And as he said, he did so with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times Paul said, I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, he says, there is the daily pressure of, uh, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. All the churches in his care, he had this anxiety, anxiety. He, he bore this constant burden, and I'm sure in prayer and intercession for them. But the lack of respect from from those that he loved and he cared for um, and and they're turning to from him and from the doctrine he pre preached to false doctrine I'm sure was worse than all of these things that Paul experienced in sharing the gospel I'm sure that is what hurt him most my heart goes out to the Apostle Paul as I read passages like this one. Of course, he's now recognized as one of, if not the greatest uh, apostles. But in his own lifetime, he had to put up with insults and hardships and persecutions, not only from those of the world, but also from those of the church, even the churches he planted. And you can hear in the tone of his voice and see from what he says in this letter that he's quite fed up. It's nonsense that certain people in this community were actually putting up and respecting some new leader, uh, a new leader that was a fool and was an abuser, as Paul said uh, to them, for you bear, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs 
or strikes you in the face. That's uh, what this new leader was doing, either metaphorically or for real. And it was bad enough that they had not been respecting Paul, their spiritual father, but for them to respect one who was harming them while putting Paul and his teaching down was, was just too much for Paul to swallow. And he finally stooped to defend himself in this passage. Well, Paul had brought the Corinthians the gospel, as I said, and he had spent a year and a half afterwards building them up in their faith without even taking any support from them for that. But it seems that after he left, another person came along and worked to undermine Paul's work and undermined his person as well. Someone who was probably a very good preacher and a very smooth speaker. When I went to seminary, the, the Presbyterians were the very best preachers of the three denominations that shared that seminary where I was. Uh, that's what they emphasized the most and what they aimed for, especially um, a good three-point sermon. Uh, the, um, both the content and the structure had to be there. Now, their church services were built around and led up to the climax, which was the sermon, and the rest didn't matter all that much. And the Presbyterian students, they all aspired to be great preachers, while folks like uh, myself, well, I aspired to be perhaps an institutional uh, chaplain. But those at the Presbyterian College, they all wanted to be preachers, pastors and preachers. And most of them were had pretty good uh, theology as well, what Anglicans used to be known for before they were Catholicized and liberalized and grew more concerned with political correctness and religious looking garb than, than they uh, were with truth. But one day, perhaps one of the best old-school Anglican orators came to town who had been around long enough to remember what good theology was, what good orthodoxy was. And, and I had spent some time with that fellow before, beforehand, so I knew who he really was and, and what he stood for. And I knew that he had, since that time, progressed with the rest of, of uh, the denomination down that wide path that leads to destruction. But he could still talk the evangelical talk when he wanted to. And he could use that language at will when the context called for it, which was then because, of course, the Presbyterian students were there and they outnumbered both the Anglican students and the United students by about 10 to 1. And it shocked me that in the few talks that this man did that day or that weekend, it might have been for two days, that he 
completely won over most of those bright Presbyterian students. And he won them over to what, you might ask? Over to him, over to his style. They were mesmerized by this man and by his oratory skills. So much so that I'm sure that if he had stuck around for a while, he would have had them all as his disciples. No matter uh, what he would have said afterwards, they would have followed suit because they admired him so. They raved about him that after he spoke that day. And not about what he had said, but about how he had said it. He had spoken so well, so eloquently, so powerfully. And that, you see, is what they had put the most stock in. How he said what he said when everyone was looking. His power, power of speech, his skills of convincing were the important thing to them. Not the person of Christ or the power of the Holy Spirit behind the word of God. And what this man said on that particular day, there was nothing wrong with. It was true, not heresy, but I actually think that most of them missed what he said because his presentation was so humanly powerful. And these fellows, I could see, they desired to be able to present like him. They didn't desire so much the truth of what he said or the enduring character of the person of Christ behind um, the word that he expounded. No, that man was who they wanted to be as they stood before others in the eyes of others. And I saw that day the power that good oratory skills could have, power that I'd never recognized before, and I couldn't believe the power. I couldn't believe the power that he had to influence those young men. But everyone was not talking about what he presented afterwards. They were all talking about the man himself. Well, I bring that up because this is what I believe the Apostle Paul was up against in the church of Corinth. Some wonderful speaker had moved in after Paul had moved on, and the Corinthian church loved listening to the new guy. And they probably begged him to stay on and probably offered him a good salary to continue teaching them. And maybe he even had started off teaching good theology until he had them. He liked their admiration and he wanted to keep it. So he told them what they wanted to hear. And I'm sure they especially liked when he told them of God's love and God's grace without teaching them about personal holiness or reproving them of sin. He didn't teach them 
how they must serve Jesus as Lord because they were indeed God's temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He didn't tell them how they must submit to Christ or suffer consequences. And I suppose that they began neglecting studying God's word for themselves. They no longer questioned what this man taught them, even when it went against what they knew Paul preached. Perhaps when someone would point that out to him, he would say something diminishing Paul's worth or Paul's God-given authority. And all this happened to people who had been under the teaching of the Apostle Paul for more than a year and a half. How, we must wonder. Well, we humans enjoy getting our ears tickled. We enjoy being affirmed, and we especially enjoy hearing good things about ourselves. We like that because we feel because we like to feel good about ourselves. And when we do not feel good about ourselves, it's usually because there's a problem. It's usually because we've sinned or are living in sin and the Holy Spirit is convicting us. And when that happens, of course, we can still find affirmation from, from men, but we cannot find affirmation at the, in those times from God or from God's men. Because God only affirms us when we are right with him, when we repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ and aim to change with his power as we yield to him. Then, and only then, do we get affirmed by God, and that comes with his blessings, either physically or spiritually. And individually, we must answer to God. Individually and personally, we must answer to God and God's word. And what, what Acts 17.11 says about the Jews of Berea who listened to Paul um, should be also be true about every Christian in the church today. It says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We have to do the same. We have to do the same because pastors and teachers and evangelists, even prophets, are all mere men and fail. And the Christian world keeps getting rocked by that. Well, it's time we learned. It's time that we stayed close to God and his word ourselves on every level, lay people as well as ministers. You know, some men of God, they do rise above. But you know how they do that? How Paul did that from trial, only in, fi in the fires of life as, as they allow God to mold and forge them through hardships and suffering, they rise above. 
Christ, of course, was crowned with thorns by men, and God allows the most noble of Christian leaders like Paul to experience thorns in their flesh all their lives to keep them dependent on him and less esteemed by men for their own good and for the good of his church, his kingdom. Well, there's always a problem with gifted speakers who never really go through the fires of life and who rely on their own talents and the tickling of ears. When I was just coming of age in the church, the prosperity gospel was being preached. And looking back, I believe that is what the devil used to squelch the great move of the Holy Spirit that had happened just before that. Both of the pastors I was under in my late teens, unfortunately, uh, preached the name it, claim it, health, wealth, God serving our desires, gospel, instead of the true gospel and us serving God. And both my pastors ended up shipwrecking their own families and their churches with extramarital affairs. And that disillusioned me for quite some time afterward and made me cynical and very leery of the church and especially its leaders. But that was not indicative of God or his church. It was just indicative of fallen human nature. The Apostle Paul was very different from my youthful pastors because he followed God's word very carefully and was very disciplined and didn't get sidetracked. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And all of that because God had molded him through suffering and he gladly accepted it so much so that he could say at the end of his life, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's 2 Timothy 4.7. As Paul showed, his weakness is what brought out God's strength. And Paul was content with that. But Paul was no pushover. He was a most formidable opponent. He stood for truth like no one else. He would not back down from either friend or foe. Paul, of course, knew how to fight in the spiritual realm. And fight he did. He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul knew how to use those spiritual weapons and we need to learn to do the same. May God help us. Paul didn't go around talking about all that he experienced and suffered in his life because it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus Christ 
and his suffering and his resurrection. But these Corinthians pushed the Apostle Paul to the point of sharing those experiences. Um, they pushed him so much by respecting this one who was a false apostle, as, as we know, and was abusing them and disrespecting Paul. And Paul had had enough at this time. And so we hear of his experiences as he prepares to do battle in the heavenlies against the evil principalities and powers that uh, he and the church were up against. And we know today that this stuff still happens in Christ's church. The devil still uses the same tricks uh, that he's always used in every generation. He's still very active. So we too have to use the same warfare that Paul used and that he re re referred to. And we have to be alert. And we also have to be prepared to suffer for the truth of the gospel. We have to pray against and speak against false doctrine and against lies. And we have to be like the Bereans, studying God's word for ourselves, checking our leaders against it, and not putting too much stock in any man. Each of us must balance what we take in and balance it with God's word. We must read and study the Bible for ourselves daily, asking the Holy Spirit to help us understand it, for it's spiritually discerned. I'd say only afterward, after having that time alone with God in your, in, in your Bible and, and in prayer, only afterward go to commentaries if you don't understand it. And, and afterward listen to pastors and teachers that God has raised up. But don't depend on them completely. Depend on the Holy Spirit who is at work within you as you process God's work, word. Asking the Holy Spirit for help in understanding. Well, Paul spoke of the lowest of lows as uh, we read before, and then he went on to speak of the highest of highs in uh, of his spiritual life. And I'm so glad uh, that um, that this church in Corinth provoked him so so that we can actually hear about it, um, even though he despised himself in in saying these things. He said, caught up into paradise, he heard things that could not be told, which man cannot utter. But Paul chose not to speak of such things, only to speak of his weaknesses. He said, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And he explained his weakness in this way. He said to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing 
greatness of the revelations, the revelations that he received from God. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul went on, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that, of course, is strong in Christ as he depends on him. Again, it was not about Paul. It was about Jesus Christ and sharing him with others. Well, that encourages me as we finish this um, this book of 2 Corinthians. And there's a lot, you know, that we see from the church back then and see in the church today that that can be discouraging. But that encourages me that God works through all of this stuff, all this calamity, all of this stuff that doesn't look very good. And as and as a pastor, too, who's not gifted in speech and and who will never get looked up for for that, I can see it's a good thing. I'm sure I couldn't handle that if I were a good speaker. But my weaknesses and difficulties keep me dependent on Christ. And those who God calls, of course, they, they get more than their share of suffering. But as Christ told us, it goes with the job. Jesus said it would. And it helps his church ultimately. Therefore, we too must learn to be content with our weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities, and say, for when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you are here for us and with us, Lord, and we know we can't do it without you. We can't go through this life, Lord, with any hope at all, if it wasn't for you and for what you have done for us. And coming to this earth as a man, giving up your throne and dying, Lord, uh, for us, for our sins, for our salvation, and rising again, Lord, and ascending. And Lord, we so much appreciate that and desire for your return to take us with you, Lord. And thank you for all you did and for, Lord, even your return. We praise you. Amen.